Welcome to the UX Growth Podcast, your go-to source for expert insights and actual advice on all things UX design. If you're enjoying the show, I would love for you to subscribe and never miss an episode on your podcasting platform. And don't forget to sign up for our UX Growth Insider newsletter, where you will get exclusive access to even more resources, tips, and insights that help you take your UX design skills to the next level. Be sure to check out our website at theuxgrowth.com, where you can find show notes and links to our social media channels. And last but not least, be sure to follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn for even more UX design goodness. All links are found in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and let's grow together. Hi, this is the UX Growth Podcast, a podcast that helps people learn and grow in the UX design industry. I'm your host, Nick Mann. I'm here with the last guest of season two, Sarah Duty, CEO and founder of Career Strategy Lab, a career coaching to ambitious professionals at all career stages in the UX industries. It's such an honor to have you here, Sarah. It's, I can't really express how much it is because I've learned a lot from where I am in the UX industry from you. I'm so excited to be here, Nick, and I'm very curious to see where our discussion goes today. Yes, absolutely. And so to begin with, let's start with just telling us a bit about yourself and where you became in your journey in UX field, where you are today. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't even know that user experience existed when I was at the stage of my life of trying to figure out what to do when people are asking me, you know, what do you want to do with your life after mm -hmm. high school. <laughs> and um, long story short, I was going to go into medicine and then I took a year off and stumbled into the world of graphic design and web design kind of just by chance. And I worked at a friend's little agency for a while. And I quickly, very, very quickly realized that the world of web design allowed me to really use this creative and technical side of my brain that in hindsight, all of my teachers would say I was like the creative and the brainy person. <laughs> um, mm. <laughs> and so that kind of opened my, well, it was a major pivot, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't really learn about user experience. And at the time, information architecture um, until someone handed me a copy of the book, Information Architecture for the World Wide Web. It's the O'Reilly book with the, the polar bear on it. And I remember reading that book and just being honestly totally captivated and thinking these people are speaking my language, like this is what I should do, et cetera. And that's kind of how I got into this industry. I didn't go to school for this. I have a marketing degree. I don't even recall looking for programs related to this back then, to be honest. So I guess I'm I'm what you would call a very self-taught, street smart uh, designer who, you know, has learned just a lot through trial and error and figuring it out. Yes, uh, I absolutely love that method of learning just because it is so real to yeah. who we are and like, what is it? Essentially, like this, all this is just goals about how can we accomplish what is it that we want and what are the necessary things that we need to make it happen. 
And, and I know there's a lot of people that go through that same situation. It seems daunting, but it's also very important to know that it's absolutely achievable and like, yeah, it'd be a product of that and realize that it is. Yeah. And I, I think another thing for me is that I was really fortunate to be in work situations where I was never scared or shy to ask questions, ask for help. Um, everyone was very collaborative and kind of in this journey together. Um, and you know, one of the things that I remember doing very religiously was seeking out online communities to, um, join and be a part of, and, you know, this was in the early ish 2000s. So the communities don't even really exist anymore, (laughs) but, um, that was one of the most valuable things. And I think, you know, to see the, the growth in terms of size, but also the narrowing down of focus, a lot of the community UX communities today, whether it's researchers or researchers in health tech or, you know, as, as narrow as, as they can be, it makes me really excited for kind of the next generation of people. Cause they just have so many more opportunities to connect and, and DIY, um, a lot of their ongoing education because the education of people in our field, I really believe is never over. Mm-hmm. Yes. These are all certainly it's these valuable lessons that we have learned through our career. And I just want to, I'm just so fascinated to know more about what, what are some of the other uh, most valuable lessons you have learned in your UX career so far, as well mm-hmm. as what people can learn from it? Mm, such a great question. So I, I think one of the lessons and kind of hindsight <laughs> insights that I guess I have is never be afraid to ask questions. And I know that many times we all are in that situation where we're afraid of what people are going to think of us or that they're going to think we're not smart enough to understand something or be judged, you know, what have you. But I remember someone I worked with close to 20 years ago, probably said, you know, Sarah has two phrases. She says all the time, Hey guys, I have a question or Hey guys, I have an idea. And like, I guess I said that so much that they kind of like made that my tagline or something. (laughs) But in hindsight, I think that was so, that was so vulnerable, not vulnerable. That was so valuable Um, because not being afraid to ask questions or worry what people thought of me allowed me to keep learning. And so I guess the takeaway is, you know, never lose that kind of curiosity or newbie mindset, if you will. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally felt that too, where asking questions, like it felt like a weakness, Mm-hmm, where exactly. you're like you're supposed to know this or you know it it it, it comes over like an internal stru- uh, struggle of like i want to feel like i can do the job i can be accountable i can be responsible for this and when you ask questions it feels like you know what's going on why are you asking this is you know and yeah. there's like level of doubt i think yeah. doubt is such a big killer in people's careers and without even knowing about it yeah i think there's self-doubt and there's the doubt that they have of, you know, other people. And it's, it's so easy to get stuck 
in your own head and your own thoughts and get stuck, I think, for longer than than you need to be stuck. Like I get stuck all the time still, but I think with experience comes realizing at some point I have a choice. I can stay stuck and keep wallowing and kind of treading water here, or I need to get myself unstuck because no one's going to walk into my home office here and save me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think yes. too, another thing regarding these um, kind of skills, the this skill of not being scared to ask questions, you know, it doesn't just impact or it didn't just impact my kind of ability to keep learning and growing professionally. But I think that skill really helped me thrive in my roles because especially I worked for years as a, as a kind of UX consultant working with different clients. So I'm bouncing into different industries. I know nothing about, and all of a sudden have to know all about, you know, some financial thing that I knew nothing about before, for example. Um, And I think that curiosity and ability to ask questions as quote dumb as you might feel like they are, Also, it helped me help the clients, honestly, because sometimes in those situations, if you've ever, you know, done UX consulting, you know, sometimes you just need to bring it down a notch for those people and like get back to basics. And I think that really helped me succeed as a consultant when I was an AM, you know, dealing with people who might be stuck in the the muck of their own situation and company. Mm -hmm bringing them back down to earth, I guess, <laughs> through mm-hmm. questions. Yeah, I know. And questions always feels like such a, it's such a big impact on our job, being mm-hmm. able to figure out the user, as well as the other things about like, how does the business work? How does the product work? Yep. Uh, you know, like how does the team work? It's like, there's just so many different ways that we go through these questions that we, we always have to ask, as well as questions that we have to ask ourselves. So I'm wondering, Sarah, what do you think are some powerful questions that we should really just eat or ask ourselves, like the team, about how can we work together? How can we do the best job possible? Mm Because I feel like a lot of our success really comes just from the team aspect and not necessarily just from what we do. I love this question because it it covers a big part of kind of the beginning of a book I'm writing right now, which is all about part of it is all about how to kind of design your career, meaning how do we take the product strategy and design principles that we use in our jobs and apply it to ourselves and our careers. And, you know, if you think, if you think of a situation where you as a UX person are starting a brand new project, right? You do some research, you go off and ask questions, whether it's questions of stakeholders or product owners or customers or competitors and things like that. And, you know, going back to your question of what questions do I ask myself, some of the questions that I'm kind of always wrestling with are like, what am I doing now in my career? What am I learning right now? What do I wish I was learning right now that, you know, I'm not learning? What do I wish I had more time for? 
Um, so I'm always kind of in the back of my mind, subconsciously taking a pulse of my own career um, and trying to figure out what is not working and what is working and figure out, okay, based on this research, what do I need to do to get to the kind of future version, if you will, of what I want my career to look like, whether that is thinking about a very kind of short timeline of how is this week going compared to how I want next week to look because this week right now is a complete circus, <laughs> you know, or if I'm thinking longer term, like what do I want to be doing two years or 10 years from now? So those are some of the questions I always, like I said, wrestle with and really try to make time to ask myself definitely every quarter, but ideally, you know, every month, just checking in with myself like that. Yeah. Such powerful questions. I, I can definitely agree to know because the field is just so big and wide mm. and it, you know, and once we know of ourselves, like, where is it that we work best in it to know, like, is the direction that we're going in it the way that fulfills us? You know, does it makes us excited to the point where we wake up every Monday morning and actually feel energized to get mm -hmm. to do our work instead of feeling like, oh, we got dread that I got to take on this project that yeah. I don't like, I'm not good at, I don't like the people I work with and feel like nothing I do, the outcome won't matter anyway. Like, yeah, there's so many people who feel like that and know like that's when it's time to make a pivot where you are in your life. And I love the way you describe that. And I think that um, the blessing and the curse of our industry <laughs> is that we do have so many options, you know, and I don't know if you kind of observe this, but I really feel for people at all stages of their careers. But if we look at like to start people just at the beginning of their careers, I can totally understand how it's very overwhelming to feel like you need to learn everything and you need to learn to code and learn about AI and crypto and, you know, the latest software and all these things. And I think maybe, and I haven't done research on this, it's more just anecdotal, but I think that's where a lot of the imposter and burnout conversations may um, may be influenced with or influenced by. Um, and then I think, you know, people who are further in their career, they're still kind of, they could be in a place of overwhelm also because maybe they've been a, a generalist you know, for their whole career. And now maybe they feel pressure, like, do I need to specialize? I don't know. And so um, it's just something I often think about with our industry, because I know this must happen in other industries, but I think our industry is changing so fast that um, it might impact us more than others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally have felt this way. I come from a graphic design background. Mm -hmm. And like even in that field of itself has the layers of the different yeah. kind of possibilities of like printing, web design, branding, typography, typography. I know. Yeah. And this is like, there's all these different areas. And that's like, 
like I'm very fortunate that I have quite a bit of experience working in that field. Mm-hmm. So transition to UX design as also and doing a lot of UI work actually made a lot of great transition. Oh, uh, yeah. I really do feel for the people who do not come from that background because it is, it's like really its own beast. And it's not something that you can just really learn in a couple of weeks because there's like so many different styles or so many different trends, uh, so many different uh ways you can use these tools to be able to create something that is able to work into like a UI situation and making sure to like, oh, it's the layout good. It's approximately well done. Mm-hmm. It's, a typog- it's, it's typography where it needs to be. So it's easily readable. Like there's just so many different patterns. Like I'm fortunate enough to like, I don't really think about this very much because it just mm-hmm. comes naturally to me. But man, for a beginner, that must be so overwhelming. Yeah. And I think this kind of goes into um, this topic that I think about quite often in that, you know, when you are faced with so much overwhelm of, I need to learn this and that and this software and this new trend and et cetera. For me, I always um, encourage people to focus on the very timeless skills and that is definitely easier said than done because as you just described, you yourself with a graphic design background, you don't consciously sit there and think about more than likely alignment and hierarchy and balance and contrast. Like maybe maybe you think about it every now and then, but it's like oxygen. You just do it because you've been doing it for so many years. But mm-hmm. I think one of the one of the challenges that I'm kind of noticing right now is that there is such a hyper focus on everything else except these timeless skills (laughs) that we're producing a lot of people who might be on top of quote trends or software, but then I see a resume of someone that is applying to a senior role, for example, or a mid-level role. And the resume has no hierarchy or balance or it's hard to read. And I just think, oh my goodness, like how have we missed the timeless skills? So I guess, you know, thinking to some of the most valuable things I've done and tried to pay attention to in my career is those timeless skills and not not getting distracted um, by trying to be an expert at everything, you know, because Software that everyone thought we needed to learn back in 2003, 2004, such as Flash. I mean, I can't tell you how many jobs I lost or wasn't even hired for because I didn't learn Flash. But I remember thinking to myself, I don't want to learn Flash. I want to be really good at this UX stuff, you know? So in the in hindsight, that was a good decision. But does anyone use Flash today? Nope. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's <laughs> I know it's very uh like how we look at tools and yeah think like the desires of that we want and yeah how many times even... are we, we can really focus too much on tools, you know? Yeah. Even Figma, like okay, I still use Sketch. I was using it last night. Why do I use Sketch? Because I know all the shortcuts, I can do it, I can work very fast in Sketch. And I'm the only one looking at it. I'm not showing that to other people on my team or anything. Now, could I use Figma and learn it quickly? 
Probably. But do I personally see a need to go and learn every bell and whistle in Figma right now? No. And, you know, uh, sometimes I think I'm just going to post on LinkedIn, like, you know, I know how to use Figma, but not, I almost think it would be freeing or something to tell people like, you don't have to know every single feature. It's like Photoshop. Remember all the features in Photoshop? I mean, yeah, there's like three different ways to do everything in Photoshop. Yeah. yeah. So for everyone listening, I think like I had this boss and I might get this quote wrong, but he had this saying, and I think it was learn your tool as fast as you can learn your tool as well as you can. And I think I would add to that, learn as much of your tool as you need to know to do your job as quickly as possible. Yeah, I know. I totally feel you because it just like it can, it, the feeling that we know need to know everything on the tool can even just prolong us to like where yes. we want to be in our career. And we can just fall uh, fall into this pit of like, oh, I have to do this before I could get started. I have to, you know, do this on my portfolio. I have to do this on my resume, do this with the tools. You know, it's like, it's all these different, like things that we feel like we should do, but are actually like procrastination, like excuses. Mm -hmm. I have this phrase I use with my career coaching clients, but I, I think that's what we call an FSP activity, a false sense of progress activity, where you think that taking a course or spending eight hours learning some new feature in Figma is going to change, you know, your skill set radically. But in the end, did you really need to learn it? Could you have done something more valuable with those eight hours? So FSPs, yeah, false sense of progress activities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I've definitely fallen into those kinds of work too. <laughs> it kind of feels like, like it's like the social media of mm -hmm. how we spend our time where it feels like we're doing something active. We're doing something that could do some usefulness, but like we don't know for sure until we actually go through it. And then we can look back and say, oh, was that really worth the time yeah. to get the process that we were looking for? Yeah, definitely. Some people can definitely struggle with is the continuous process of learning in the UX design field, even after like we're insecure in our career and feel like everything is going well. Like, where can we go next? Mm. I just want to know, like, where can we learn more about this so like we can continue to keep growing and not just feel stagnant? You know, for those people who have been working in their career for a while and Correct me if I'm wrong, but they might feel stagnant, like they're at a plateau or they're bored or something like that. And trying to figure out, you know, what should their next career move or what could their next career move be? Oftentimes I challenge people to kind of make sure you're differentiating between thinking about, do you want to actually change your job function. So let's say you're a researcher. Is it really a matter of you don't want to do research anymore? Or is it a matter of you don't like the container in which you do research right now? Where container, I mean, would you be more excited if you were doing research in a different industry, for example? Would you be more excited if you were doing research at a different type of company? You know, maybe you're doing research and you're at a small company that doesn't have a big budget or time for 
larger research projects or various software or who knows what. So that's really the first thing to think about. Like, again, going back to what we talked about at the beginning of research and always kind of being mindful of, of what you're doing, thinking about, is this really about my job function or where I do my job, whether industry, company, et cetera. The other thing I would say is sometimes as cheesy as it might sound, it can be really helpful to stop trying to look into the future and take a moment to look backward. And that could be one year. That could be back until you were five years old. And mm-hmm. it sounds like a long time frame to examine, but one of the activities that can be really valuable for people is to look backwards and think to themselves, when were the situations in my life or career or education or leisure um, when I was really excited about doing something? And that might give you clues as to industries you might want to think about trying to work in or areas within user experience that you might want to pursue. You know, thinking back, really to to my childhood. I mean, I've always been a little bit of an investigator, of a researcher. I've always been a problem solver and, you know, solving rubrics cubes and all those, you know, physical puzzles, not puzzles with pictures, but like puzzles with blocks and stuff. And I've always mm-hmm. really been a storyteller. And I remember a couple of distinct moments in my career where I thought I'm just going to go all in on this storytelling thing or this research thing. And there, if we were to draw a little timeline of my career, there have definitely been little chapters of, you know, one to four years or so where if you went back and looked at my Twitter feed or what I was posting elsewhere, One chapter would be all about storytelling. Another chapter would be all about research. Another chapter would be all about portfolios. And the current chapter is, you know, evolved from this very narrow focus on portfolios to now, you know, career strategy really for currently people in UX and tech and products. But I wouldn't be surprised in the future if that expands, you know, well beyond just the UX product tech industry. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with all these points and the process for it is for the design industry is where the processes are going. Kind of like goes back to like just how big the field is, you know? The other thing that kind of struck me is because when you said, you know, how big the field is, a lot of people think that UX is something that is just a job in you know, quote, tech companies, the, you know, Meta, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, you name Mm. it, kind of the the household name type companies, right? But I think one of the most exciting things to me is knowing that universities or hospitals or cruise companies, like actual cruise ship companies or Disney or airlines or insurance companies, Mm -hmm. like government, all these examples 
they all need UX people, right? If you, I've never been on a cruise before, but there's a lot of UX happening there, you know? <laughs> I'm sure, same with airlines, like the touch screens of when you're on the plane, the service design within cruises or airlines, et cetera. And so I think it's a really, it could be exciting. It also could be very overwhelming for people to have so many options. But I think one of the really awesome things about UX being something that's needed, not just in quote tech companies, is that you may be able to find better work-life balance, quality of life, less hustle, perhaps even better salary at some of these companies that I I mentioned, you know? Yeah, I know. And a lot of people don't think about these companies because mm -hmm. it, they feel like invisible throughout the whole yeah. process. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, I know. And like, same thing, like ATM machines, you know, like, yes. oh my gosh, the, the amount of process it takes to make <laughs> sure that those things work. And people don't really even think about designing work of that because, you know, it's boring. Mm -hmm. People don't, and people aren't excited about that. They get excited about these really cool startups doing AI technology. Yeah. You know, like, and it's like, yes, it's their time to shine, but just like, there's so many other opportunities and everyone wants to go after those too. So it's like, yeah. you're going to, you know, it's like getting into that is going to be its own problems, especially like, especially this whole economy at the moment. But yeah. also for like, for the process of like, there's stuff around where we are right now that doesn't even have to be tech related either that can yep. benefit from, from UX design. I, I I feel confident in saying this in that there's like also a little bit of ego at play maybe where people mm -hmm. think, you know, they want to have a certain company on their resume because if they can just get Google on their resume, it's like a golden, you know, ticket for the rest of their career. And I think those days are kind of over, you know, I think, sure, if someone might pause on your resume, if they see any household name company that, you know, is familiar, but I really think that if people are looking for, like I said, more work-life balance, potentially higher salaries, better flexibility, better benefits, um, thinking about these even companies like local, I've had people get hired at like local energy companies in their, you know, city or municipality and things. And they are just thrilled with the job, with the salary. And like I said, that kind of work-life balance that I think would have been in jeopardy if they've gone to say, you know, an Amazon or potentially a Microsoft or something, for example. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of what's changed is because now UX design is becoming more ubiquitous in mm -hmm. terms of like all a lot more fields besides just tech too, especially because like it always feels like when we think of UX design for like the longest time, people think of like it is the top companies because those are the first ones that really see it and valued it and made sure that like, okay, this is actually is a field worth getting into mm -hmm. and how we can learn from this, from a lot of the, like, where is it from the product and design? Like, for example, with Apple does, like, like for the process of what they are doing compared to the, the, the competition was like noticeable uh, day and night difference. And now mm -hmm. like we have a system for that and how we can take that from all different kinds of products 
that it could be hard, hardware, software, whatever, because these are the UX principles that are now founded on. And this is like another story of like the, the evolution of UX design and like, where uh -huh. is it going from here? How can we still learn from this? Like where are the, the core principles? And now we're finding out in a, like AI design, we're seeing it to with, you know, like the blockchain, you know, I still can't fully wrap my head around that. <laughs> Neither can I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know for like for these new industries, but the, the UX principle still applies to them. And that's mm -hmm. the thing that's what's so beautiful about the, the process and how we learn through it all. And you made me think of something, you know, going back to the idea of, you know, the ubiquity of UX and stuff. And this is just a complete hypothesis. So tell me if you agree or disagree or don't know. But, you know, maybe the idea of doing UX at a large company versus, you know, your local energy company, let's say. Maybe there's a hypothesis there where in the non-tech companies, such as the energy company, maybe those companies might value UX a little more than the tech companies, where at the tech company, everyone thinks they're a designer and everyone's trying to design over your shoulder or tell you what to do or this, that, the other, right? Whereas maybe in these smaller energy companies or not always smaller, mm -hmm. maybe less people at those companies are exposed to, familiar with, et cetera, UX. Therefore, you're still seen as kind of an expert. Know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. I think it, it depends on the goals of what they want the UX design to do. Mm -hmm. And for small companies, I think they are going to put more emphasis in UX design because it is still so, it's a new groundwork that they need to build the company on, mm -hmm. as opposed to a very big, well-known company that's already had the foundation. And now there's more minor improvements, whereas with smaller companies, there's a lot more bigger impact that mm -hmm. goes forward into the future of where the direction of the company goes, because they have they just like different kind of like missions like what they want to do for like the big companies like it's always about uh like expanding in like new territories or dealing with competition or trying to get back uh previous users where newer companies they want to grow they got to make their stamp in the market mm -hmm. so that they can actually have they're not only growth period but they can actually be like a legitimate business that can stand actual decades so like there's definitely a different foundation of where the UX design goes. And I think it's up to, you know, it's up to us to decide, like, is that the one that's best for us? Is that yeah. where we work best in with some of the things that, that excites us? And they both have, you know, their pros and cons. And I don't think there's really any issues with any of them all. It's something that's just up to us. Like, where's the doubt we want our career to go? Yeah, it goes back to, you know, designing your, your career and for better or worse, being able to, you know, having the options to, to kind of decide which path you take, which is daunting, but also, um, so empowering too. Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. So as we're drawing a close to this episode, what's the best way to support you, Sarah, and, and what you're doing and all, it's very exciting to learn more about that. Yeah, so there's a couple of a couple of things I want to highlight. First of all, 
I have a podcast also. We just launched in March. Um, so we're now publishing weekly episodes. The podcast is called The Career Strategy Podcast. Um, it's on all the platforms or just go to careerstrategypodcast.com. And then the other two ways to kind of learn about me, I have um, Career Strategy Lab, which is the career coaching and kind of career incubator for UX tech and product people where we have um, various programs and free and paid resources available to people. And then if you want to um, see other things that are not related to Career Strategy Lab, you can always check out kind of my personal website, which is just my name, sarahduty.com, where it has a lot of um, talks I've given at conferences over the years. Um, my old blog, which I cannot tell you the last time I posted on it because I've been too busy with Career Strategy Lab, but <laughs> there are some great gems over there, you know, honestly, going back to 2013 or so. So it's it's always fun to go find some article that I wrote that surprisingly has stood the test of time. So yeah, those are the three ways to to connect with me. And of course, I'm on social media. If you just Google my name, you'll find all the places that I that I am active. Yes, and all links of that will be found in the show notes. So you can easily check out all the great business podcasts and presentations, you know, like reading materials, everything from Sarah Duty. I highly recommend it. It has helped me in my career about where I am today. So I it's been an honor to be a uh, part of this journey has been, and to have Sarah on this podcast, like, wow. Well, and congrats on two seasons. It's such an accomplishment. I, I don't know what percent of podcasts that puts you in, but I know a lot of podcasts don't make it past a very small number of episodes. Yeah. So you should be proud of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially because of like, the amount of like also like leader uh, listenerships and everything that goes through the process that man if i i want to tell anyone who wants to get into podcasting like don't do it for the money right? <laughs> don't do it for the fame either because statistically speaking it's not going to happen but it's 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 uh, and that's not the reason why i started this podcast i started because i wanted to meet really great ux designers and adjacent of the process all of it all so that I can not only learn from it, but also I can share that as well. It feels like I'm doing two things at once to mm -hmm. add better benefit to this whole, you know, grandscape of the UX design industry and how much we got to preserve it. We got to keep it growing. We got to keep it great for, for the future generations so that this industry is going to be uh, fantastic for everyone involved. So I yeah. think like we are all doing our part in this industry. Well, and I wouldn't be surprised if down the road you're on someone's podcast who tells you that, you know, you were instrumental in their career. So it's it's always interesting to, you know, connect with people years later and see what happened in people's careers. Because I would never have predicted that I would be doing what I am. I would have just never believed anyone who told me I'd be doing what I do today. So you never know where this podcast could take you. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So yeah, shout, shout out to the people who are thinking about starting either a podcast or like writing a book yeah, or any like YouTube channel. Like you'd be surprised how important it can be, not only what you're doing right now, but what it could do later in life as well. Totally. And 
Yeah, no, and that's like it's something that like, hey, if you're, you know, if you feel like you're struggling or it doesn't feel well, like just gotta keep at it because there's, like, there's podcasters that have been going at it for years that felt like they never got anywhere until they didn't give up and it did, to get to the point where it's amazing and a lot of people are listening and and this great where they are right now. So there's a lot of like, just don't give up if you want to go through a side project, realizing that there's always going to be hurdles. It's, you know, it's definitely not an easy process, but (laughs) it's definitely a fulfilling one. And it's a great way to keep learning too, because as I'm sure you've experienced, you learn a lot just about project management, software, business, problem solving. I mean, just with a podcast or a YouTube channel, for example, I had to learn video editing, all these things. So yeah, it's a good way to to keep flexing your learning muscle, let's say. <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being here. Thanks for having me. This was a great chat. Yeah, please do support our guests. Until then, you just listen to the UX Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Mann. Thank you for listening.